welcome to Devil's Food. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. We say that as if I'm not here every week. <laughs> like, Thank I'm, you for showing up. <laughs> like, I'm just a guest here as if I'm not, you know. Because I, I do the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I need to get like a an audience backing track that's like a clapping. <laughs> that Coming back on recording, that's probably going to sound like something else. <laughs> so... I don't know if we want to keep that or not. I'll edit it out if it sounds <laughs> suspicious. So today, we are going to cover our first, uh, this was our first official request we ever got. How long has it been sitting on the back burner? A couple months. <laughs> Sorry, Travis. So our very loyal listener, Travis, if you follow us on Instagram, you would have seen some of the artwork he made for the show. Thank you, Travis. We love and appreciate him. We do. Um, I had to put this on the back burner because it's such... It, it, it required a lot of research and a lot of time. Lots of stuff happening. Yeah. And you know, I thought, Travis, if you're listening to this, I thought you were an OG listener. I thought you liked us. After researching this case, I'm convinced uh, he hates us. Oh. <laughs> But, you know, Travis, is, he's very active on our socials, so we're going to show you some love, and we'll cover it. So, this should uh, tell everyone to follow us on all of our socials, put in all your requests. We try to cover all the requests. We've actually covered a few of them that were requested. Yeah, Joseph Bethany was a request. Um, Madame Lollery was a request. This one is... Lori Vallow was, too. Oh, yeah. So... If you're very active on our socials, you definitely get bumped. Like, we were like, oh, we want to show our fans, quote-unquote fans, love. <laughs> our so, foodies. Our foodies. So call it a token of appreciation, if you will. That being said, this request did me in. So, I don't know <laughs> thanks, we, Travis. I don't know if we want to give Travis a shout-out for his personal work, but Travis is a really awesome tattoo artist. I mm -hmm. have a lot of work by him. Mm-hmm. So, we'll have to tag him. You got your Dolly Parton tattoo. Yeah, he got, he got me my Dolly Parton tattoo. I've got Mothman. He gave me his really dope pumpkin. It's... We can tag him. I think I have more work by him. I just can't remember which one. You've lost, lost count. We can give him a shout out. Definitely. He's been very loyal to us on the socials. He really has. Um, a bit of a trigger warning. I don't always put trigger warnings in my cases. This case covers a lot of sexual assault, mm -hmm. some of which is with children. I always try to give the typical gnarly warning for cases so you guys can, like, skip ahead a couple, press that button a couple times. But if you don't want to listen to it, it's not your jam, or you're not in the right headspace for it, totally get it. We have a lot of other episodes you can listen to, but I will try to give warnings as I say it. Perfect. So, hopefully your uh, car is not glitching because I go to skip ahead using my button sometimes. It's like, oh, action not available. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. No. So, that being said, let's get into this uh, di diarrhea puddle of a human being. Diarrhea puddle. I love it. Yes. So, in 1928, Carl Panzram was arrested for burglary and held in Washington, D.C., 
During his interrogation, Carl confessed to the murder of two boys. Oh, no. While he was in jail, he befriended one of the guards named Henry Lesser. At some point, Henry gave Carl some writing materials, and Carl began writing a combination of, like, an autobiography and his confession. And in this 20,000-word confession... Jesus. Carl confessed to all of his crimes. This is what he had to say. He said, quote, In my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, and arsons. But last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 male human beings. For all those things, I am not the least bit sorry. You're not even a little bit sorry None. for this being... man has not an ounce of remorse for anything he did that is disgusting he is probably one of the most dark people i've ever looked into for true crime not an ounce of remorse nothing wow thanks travis thanks travis <laughs> <laughs> i'm also gonna say real quick i didn't look into it i should have looked into it he confessed to sodomy um, but he never really says, or none of the charges say, or none of the articles say, sexual assault or rape. Mm-hmm. It's because all of his victims were men. Mm. So, because all of his men were men and boys and not women, I don't, it was never referred to as rape or sexual assault. Mm-hmm. They just called it sodomy. I don't know if that was, like, for the time, legal reasons, like the legal jargon of it. Maybe it's still a thing they do now. I, I don't know. But he raped all these men. Basically. I feel like society in general doesn't want to... Admit that men can be raped. Yes. Yeah. I think so, too. So if sodomy gets brought up in this story, which it will, he raped these these people. Ugh. So, just going to put that out there. Because it kind of confused me when I read it. I was like, okay. Call it what it is type of thing. But yeah. it is... I'm putting that out there. Because I don't know. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, Carl said that he was born as Charles Panzram, June 28th, 1881, on a farm in rural, <laughs> rural, rural, Minnesota. His parents were German immigrants, and he had six siblings. Carl's parents were described as being, like most immigrant, immigrant parents in the area, they were hardworking, but they were poor, and they were very strict and very stern. Carl described his siblings as being honest, hardworking farmers, but he didn't inherit or possess any of those traits. Oh. Carl described himself as being, quote, I have been a human animal ever since I was born. I was a thief and a liar. The older I got, the meaner I got. Oh. So when Carl was seven, his parents' marriage ended. The family couldn't afford a divorce, so the family ju- or the dad just left one day and didn't come back. It'd be like that sometimes. It'd be like that. He went for milk. He went to go get him a pack of cigarettes and... Never came home. Never came home. So to make ends meet, the family worked from sunup to sundown, and his brothers started to act out, and they would start basically beating the crap out of Carl every day. Oh. Keep in mind, Carl was the oldest, so it was like all of his little brothers were just, like, beating the shit out of him. Well, he did say that, like, they were all farmers except for him, yeah. so he was probably the weak, the weakest of them all. Yeah, they probably thought he was, like, the weak link. Yeah. When he was 11, he broke into his first home and just kind of stole whatever he could find. 
he got some food, some odds and ends, and he also stole a handgun. His brothers found out, beat him until he was unconscious. He was then arrested and sent to a reform institution for juveniles called the Minnesota State Training School. The school had about 300 boys there, and they ranged from 10 to 20 years old. That's a big age range, in my opinion. That's too much of an age range. That's a little excessive. Yeah. When he was taken to the school, he was brought into into the admission office, and a male staff member instructed him to strip naked. His genitals were examined, and Carl was asked about his sexual history... Carl was asked specifically if he had ever committed fornication, sodomy, or masturbated. Keep in mind, he's 11. Yeah, that's a, that's a heavy thing to put on an 11-year-old. 11-year-old. The boys received what was described as quote-unquote Christian training. Oh. Which, unfortunately, during this time period was kind of an excuse to not treat people very Christian-like. Hmm. <laughs> uh, the boys would either... If they misbehaved, or heaven forbid, they just didn't learn their lessons fast enough, mm-hmm. they would be attacked and beaten. That's the paddling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Carl was raised on a farm. He didn't receive a whole lot of education, so he couldn't read very well. Yeah. So he couldn't read much. He wasn't able to learn at the level that they expected him to learn. So he got punished on the regular. Poor Carl. I mean, not poor Carl, but poor baby Carl. Poor old, poor child Carl. We can feel bad for the child. Yes. And not the adult. That's fair. Carl said, quote, I may not have accomplished much in scholarly while... I may not have accomplished much in a scholarly way while there, but I learned how to be the first-class liar and the beginning of degeneracy. I first began to think that I was being unjustly imposed upon. Then I began to hate those who abused me. Then I began to think that I would just have my revenge just as soon and as often as I could injure someone else, anyone at all would do. Mm. So he just had it in his age from a very early, had it in his mind at an early age. Mm-hmm. He was going to take it out on the world, basically. So Carl was beaten countless times. He was beaten with wooden planks, thick leather straps, whips, and heavy paddles. Mm. What no one knew was that Carl was planning his revenge. And on the night of July 7th, 1905, he planted a small device in a workshop at the school. When Carl left the building, it caught fire. Oh. The workshop burned to the ground, and Carl said that he laid in bed and laughed as it happened. Like a real put-together person, as you do. Yeah. Carl said... Carl, sorry, Carl learned how to say the right things and do the right things. And in 1905, he was able to manipulate the school board into thinking he was a reformed kid and they let him go. Oh, wow. Carl said, quote, I was reformed, all right. I had been taught by Christians how to be a hypocrite, and I had learned more about stealing, lying, hating, burning, and killing. He also said really disgusting quotes. Mm-hmm. I didn't put them in here. He's just an absolute pig. He basically just said he learned about sex. Oh. And what body parts can do. Oh. And it's just really gross. It sounds like it might be. I didn't put that in here. (laughs) You can find all those quotes online. I can tell you that much. (laughs) His mother picked him up from school and brought him home. And it didn't take long for her and the rest of the family to pick up on the fact that Carl was just different. Hmm. He wasn't the same boy that he was before he left. 
Now, he had always been quiet and reserved, but now he was just withdrawn. He wanted nothing to do with any of them. Mm -hmm. However, his mother just did not have the energy or the resources to help him in the way that he needed. In the early 1900s, that this was the early 1900s, so mental health resources non-existent non-existent yeah she was also a poor immigrant with no husband Mm -hmm. no money no connections she was in poor health herself and one of her sons who was said to be her favorite son had recently drowned and died oh so she just did not have the mental capacity or knowledge or anything to help carl Mm -hmm. carl said about his mother quote mother was too dumb to do anything good to teach me there was little love lost oh Mm. Yeah. Carl decided from a very early age he wanted to leave and live his own life, which is something that a lot of young people dream of. However, his goal was to do whatever he wanted, to go wherever he wanted to go, do whatever he wanted to do. But for Carl, that meant he just kind of wanted to destroy everything and kill people along the way. We all have to have aspirations, I guess. So, you know, like, manifest destiny and, like, all that yeah all that shit i guess <laughs> i suppose so Ugh. so when carl was 14 he convinced his mother to, to send him to a different school in an attempt to get away from working on the farm while at school he got into multiple physical altercations with a teacher that would beat him with a whip so carl planned on bringing a handgun to school and killing the teacher in front of class oh he brought the gun to school and while fighting the teacher the gun fell out of his pants and onto the floor, and it was taken away from Carl. He was kicked out of the school, and after being back at the farm for two weeks, he hopped on a train and never went back to the farm again. From this moment on, Carl leads a very nomadic life. He doesn't Mm -hmm. stick anywhere for long. He ends up all over the place, and forewarning, it's a lot to keep up with. (laughs) So I I didn't go into detail about all of it, because it's just way too much. So, for the next few years, he had a hobo on the railroads lifestyle, which was very popular for the time. He would just hop freight trains, sleep on them, and he would beg and steal for food, basically. You do what you gotta do. I get it. Yeah. So, our first gnarly warning, if you need to skip ahead. Now. (laughs) Right now. So, after leaving Minnesota, he snuck on a train that was heading to Montana. There were four men that were sleeping in the lumber car that he had found. The men saw this child, because keep in mind, he's only 14 years old, Mm -hmm. and told him that they could give him some clean clothes and a warm place to stay and help him out, but he had to do something for them in return. Oh, no. And Carl claimed that all four men gang-raped him. Oh. Yeah. He's still just a child. He's a child, and it's just adding fuel to to his his fire. fire. Yes. So he was able to survive and escape, but that experience was kind of like his last straw. He kind of, everything that happens to him, because there's a lot that happens, he just loses humanity, basically, Mm -hmm. every step of the way. So when he arrived in Montana, it didn't take long for him to, he was arrested for burglary and sent to the Montana State Reform School. So at 14, he was sent to the school, and he was described as being 180 pounds and a six-foot-tall man. That's huge. He was a big man. He was big. I think that's why he was able to get away with so much. Probably. Or do so much. Yeah. And it didn't take long for him to develop a reputation for being just a criminal. He was very cold-hearted. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew. 
So much so that there was a guard that really kept his eye on Carl. And it drove Carl absolutely crazy. So much so that Carl just decided one day he was going to kill him. Oh. So Carl found a heavy wood plank outside of the workshop, wood, outside of the workshop, and he bludgeoned the guard in the back of the head. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you do what you gotta do, I guess. Yeah, that's what Carl thought. Mm. So he was caught, he was beaten, and he was now under more supervision. In 1907, Carl and a fellow inmate escaped the school, and they were able to go to a nearby town and steal handguns and other things. They stayed with each other for about a month, and they were heading east, and just stealing and burning everything along the way. Carl's favorite thing to do was to steal from churches and set them on fire, and he taught the boy how to do it as well. It's pretty metal. (laughs) (laughs) They decided to eventually split up. They took... They each took some guns and $200, and they went their separate ways. During this time, Carl went by the alias Jefferson Baldwin. Oh, a distinguished gentleman. A distinguished gentleman. He uses a bunch of names, too. So, that's also why it was so hard to keep up with him. Mm. In uh, December 1907, Carl went to Helena, Montana. He came across an army recruiter, and he lied about his age and was able to get enlisted into the U.S. Army, and he was sent to boot camp. On his first day, <laughs> oh great! He was brought up on charges for insubordination for refusing a work detail. First day, Carl, you just you didn't even have to last like like you're going in the army. You're gonna have to listen to people, right? It's the name of the game. Uh, for the next month, he had to work. He had multiple charges for petty crimes. In April of 1908, he broke into the quartermaster building and stole clothes that was worth $88.24, which today would have been about $2,700. Oh, wow. He attempted to go AWOL, but was arrested and received a general court-martial, and Carl pled guilty to three counts of larceny, larceny, and he was dishonorably discharged. The Secretary of War, who was later the president, William Howard Taft, he comes in to play a little later. Oh, he approved of the sentence and sent him to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Carl was shackled into a cattle car for the 1,000-mile trip with no food and no water. It's a long trip for that time. Mm-hmm. Also, keep in mind, he lied about his age. He's only 16. Yeah. But they're treating him like Well, that's what he gets for lying. <laughs> I know. The guards had a very strict schedule and regimen for the inmates, and obedience was mandatory. Which is Carl's strong suit. That is Carl's strong suit. Yep. If an inmate was caught speaking out of turn, they would be beaten with a whip and put into solitaire confinement. And no surprise, Carl was constantly in trouble, and he was already planning his escape. I believe that. While there, Carl burned down a prison workshop, which resulted in $100,000 in damages. (laughs) Carl gets to be pretty predictable at some point. (laughs) Carl... The guards basically tortured the inmates on a regular basis because they knew if they didn't make examples out of them and discipline them, the inmates could very easily band together and overrule them and kill them easily. So torture was an everyday occurrence. Hate that. Yeah. Carl was chained to a 50-pound metal ball that he was forced to carry around 24-7, even while he slept. And his job was he was assigned to beat rocks in the quarry. While attached to this rock. So, that typical 
cartoonish kind of deal you see (laughs) all right so he was released at the age of 19 and he had no one and nowhere to go he drifted all throughout kansas and texas and southwest california he would train hop and end up going under the name jeff baldwin he was arrested multiple times for burglary and all burglary and arson he said he would burn down barns sheds fences anything he could find if he couldn't find anything he would just set a field or the woods on fire if it was made of wood and it was flammable my god (laughs) he was burning it down my golly it was set to be a flame if it could be he would steal guns from the homes and money so he could buy ammo and if there were uh, and if the homes had animals, like cows or horses, he would just let them loose. Okay, at least he wasn't doing anything gross to the no, animals. No, okay. that was, like, his standard. He wouldn't, like, he didn't hurt animals. Well, some everybody's got to have a standard, <laughs> I guess. He said his only goal was just to basically let all hell loose. It sounds like and it. And he did it. And during this time, he went on a merciless raping spree. He admitted that as long as they weren't too rusty-looking... He wasn't too particular. Oh. (laughs) We don't like that rusty and dusty. (laughs) They look haggard. They're safe. (laughs) Oh, God. He said he didn't care if they were old, young, black, white. As long as they were human, he didn't care. Mm. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. Uh, In 1911, he was arrested for stealing a bike and escaped jail after 30 days. He jumped a freight train during his escape where he found two hobos, and Carl's mind instantly went to he had an opportunity to rape these men. He wanted his revenge. His whole life is just revenge. Before that happened, a railroad cop found the men, and he tried to blackmail Carl and the others. The cop said that if they didn't give him money, he was going to throw them off the train. Oh. So... Another gnarly skip-ahead warning for you. Here we go. In case you need it. So Carl pulled a gun on the cop and told him that he was the fellow that went around the world doing people good. He robbed the cop's watch and money and proceeded to rape him in front of the two other men. When Carl was done, he forced the other two men at gunpoint to each rape the cop. I don't even have any words. That is... Yeah, when everything was said and done, Carl threw all the men off the train. And he just kept going towards Oregon. Carl. Ew. Yes. I said this one's... Interesting. This one's rough. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it. Uh, For a few years, he jumped around different spots in the Northwest. He got arrested several times under the name Jack Allen... And under that name, he was arrested for highway robbery, assault, and sodomy. He escaped from jail some. He would set fires in jail so he could escape. He would also rape the inmates while he was there. He said he would start every morning with a, you know, just a little sodomy. Just That was his word. Just, just a sprinkle of sodomy. Gotta start the morning with your cup of coffee. And some sodomy. Yes. Ew. Yes. So, like I said, he was a huge man. He was able to do all those things. That's true. He was a big boy. Big boy with a nasty reputation. Ugh. So, I'm sure all the inmates were probably scared to death. I could only imagine. I believe it. In 1915, he was arrested for robbing a house and was sent to the Oregon State Penitentiary. The warden there was Harry Minto. 
Harry was known to be cruel and crude, and he believed in doing whatever needed to be done by force in order to keep the inmates in line. The prison was known for a harsh reputation of abuse and torture. This included whippings, hosings, beatings, starvation, and isolation. Prisoners would also be shackled to the walls in rafters and hung there for hours or days on end. Mm. Carl, no shock, was routinely punished. I can only imagine. One punishment that was recorded was that he was hung for 10 hours for causing a disturbance in a cell and cursing an officer. A month later, it was said that he was hoisted up on a door for 12 hours for having a weapon. He was also, there was also another time that he was found with a blackjack and he was thrown into the quote-unquote dungeons Mm. for three weeks. Carl said that, quote, they stripped us naked, chained us to the door, and then the fire hose would be turned on. Would be turned on to us until we were black and blue and half blind. Oh, jeez. He said once he was sent to solitaire for 61 days, and during this time he was kept in the dark, and he would feel around for cockroaches and bugs so he could have something to eat. Ew. Because they wouldn't feed him. He was starving. Despite all of that, he kept <laughs> doing the bad behaviors. <laughs> And kept getting punished. Isn't that like the the whole premise of insanity or whatever? Is doing yeah. the same thing over <laughs> and over again expecting a different outcome? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just decided he would have to just escape. As you do. As you do. In 1917, he helped a fellow inmate named Otto Hooker escape prison. When he got out, Otto ran, just happened to run into the warden in a nearby town. Oh. And Otto killed him. Oh. So here he died. Carl attempted multiple times to escape the jail and finally succeeded in 1918. He managed to get out. He robbed a house for money, clothes, and a gun. However, within a couple days, a local cop recognized him. There was a shootout between Carl and the officer until Carl ran out of ammo, and he was arrested and brought back to the jail. On the way to the jail, Carl tried to steal the officer's gun while he was driving, they begin fighting, and it's shoot, the like, gun's going off, it's mm-hmm. shooting through the roof. The two men are going at it. The officer must have been just, like, an absolute brute of a man. Just an he, absolute unit. Unit, because he overtook Carl, and Carl was said to arrive at the jail brutally beaten oh, wow. and unconscious, and he was just thrown into solitaire. So that man must have been, like, a tank. He must have been. I could only, like, because Carl's a big boy. He's yeah, a big boy. So he was finally able to escape prison, again, by sawing through the window bars. He hopped a train and left the Northwest for good and adopted the new name of John O'Leary. And he had his eyes set for the East Coast. Why do they always have to come over here? Because <laughs> he went everywhere else. Stay home. <laughs> uh, he spent a lot of time in New Haven, Connecticut for a while. He patrolled every night to find someone to steal from or to rape. If it was a slow night, he would just go find a house to rob, as you do. As you do. On the night of August 1920, he found a very wealthy home, and it was just speaking to him. So naturally, he robbed it. He took a lot of jewelry and bonds, and of course, a gun. And on the bonds was the name William Taft, the man who sent him to jail. Oh, the same man who sent him off, and he was, at this time, the former vice president And he was a current law professor at Yale. So Carl just took all this stuff from him, 
He went to Manhattan, he pawned off the jewelry and the bonds, and he got away with $3,000 cash, which today's standards would have been about $45,000. say, that's a lot of money in that mm-hmm. time. And naturally, what would you do if you had that kind of money? He bought a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs a yacht, I guess. So with this yacht, he was able to, you know, grow his interest, expand the business, if you will. And he was able to cruise along the coast of Long Island, New York, and Connecticut. He was able to steal from all the boats and go to all the different ports, mm-hmm. go to town, do what he wanted to do, get back on the boat and leave. I mean, I guess work smarter, not harder, I guess. <laughs> when cruising around Man- uh, Manhattan's Lower East Side, Carl just happened to notice that there would be countless sailors, and Carl realized that they were looking for work. Carl schemed, this is the scheme he came up with, that he would hire one or two men at a time. He would bring them onto his yacht under the promise of work, as probably deckhands most likely. He would get them drunk, rape them, and murder them. And this was the scheme he did the whole summer of 1920. Oh, geez. He said, quote, Every day or two, I would go to New York and hang around 25th Street and size up the sailors. He would then convince them to go to his yacht, promising whatever he had to. Mostly, it was like, work for the day, I'll pay you at the end of the day type of work. Mm-hmm. Carl said, quote, We would wine and dine, and they were drunk enough they would go to bed. When they were asleep, I would take my forty-five Colt automatic that I stole from Mr. Taft's home and blow their brains out. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was the plan. He would then tie a rock onto each body. He had a rowboat, so he would take that, the body out to Long, the Long Island Sound, near the Execution Lighthouse. After, about a hundred yards away from the lighthouse, he would just dump his victims into the sea. Oh my god. Yeah. When more and more people went missing, the locals were getting suspicious of Carl, and it was getting harder and harder for him to find victims. So Carl went down the coast to New Jersey. Mm. There he picked up two victims in Long Beach. Before he was able to kill them, the boat crashed. The boat was completely destroyed and all the men barely made it out alive. Carl said he remembered getting to the shore and he saw the men running into the woods. He said, quote, they disappeared quickly into the New Jersey farmlands, never realizing how lucky they had been to escape certain death from the bullet of a president's gun. I'm just shaking my head. I, this man. He's something. Carl said he did this plan for about three weeks, and he said he believed he killed about ten men during that time period. Just, like, back to back to back. And he got arrested in Connecticut for burglary. (laughs) However, he jumped bail, left Connecticut, stowed away on a ship, and ended up in... Virginia? West Africa. West Africa. (laughs) Sir... How? You know what? (laughs) This is Carl. I said he's a hard one to keep up with. Carl. Get your shit together. His shit was never together. It wasn't even, like, in the vicinity. (laughs) So, another gnarly skip-ahead warning. So, while there, he found a job on an oil rig, and he ran into an 11-year-old boy. Oh, no. He lured the boy back to his job at the oil rig he 
sexually assaulted him and killed him by beating him. That was just a child. A child. The locals knew that he did it. They mm-hmm. were suspicious, but they couldn't prove it, and nothing happened. So he settled into a little fishing village where he lived there for a few weeks. And at some point, Carl hired a few local, a few locals to guide him into the jungle so he could hunt crocodiles. That's such a wild thing. Like, you know what? <laughs> it sounds <laughs> made I'm up. tired of murdering people. Let's go murder some crocodiles. So, crocodile hunting was a huge moneymaker for this area. Like, all the European men wanted crocodiles and whatever. Um, so, the locals saw it as, like, this huge moneymaker. Like, oh, you give us some of that money, we'll take you out. And Carl was like, sure thing, homie. I'll give you that. So, they went into the jungle on the boat heading down the river and Carl shot and killed all six men in the boat basically execution style for no reason did he feed them to the crocodiles yes oh okay. he dumped them in the water wow it's amazing how i you know deducted yeah. that so he dumped the bodies in the water and headed back to the village with an empty boat and he knew he had to leave town because everyone saw him leave with the crew but didn't come back with the crew he came back crocodileless. No That's... crocodiles. He should have at least brought a crocodile. Right? So he went north and robbed all along the way until he was able to get to the Canary Islands. There he stowed away on a ship and ended up in Portugal. Casey's just shaking her head. <laughs> what he didn't know, what he did not know was that the Portuguese police knew about him and everything he did in Africa. Word had spread. So he could not stay there. So, he was able to uh, stow away on another ship, and he ended up back in America. Okay. In 1922. Where did he end up in America at? Uh, around New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, American police were also hot on his, tri- on his trail, and Carl knew that, so he was not able to stay anywhere very long. Mm-mm. Carl would commit a crime and basically just leave. Constantly on the run. Sometimes you just gotta do a little crime, then abscond. Do the crime, not the time. Yes. That was Carl's philosophy. That's what it seems like. So he was in the States for just a few days, and he went to the U.S. Customs Office in New York City. He wanted to renew his captain's license and also get the paperwork for his old yacht. Remember, all this was in a different name, so no one knew to look for him. His plan was that he was going to steal a boat, and refit the boat to be under the name of his previous boat that had crashed. So he was going to pretend the new boat was his boat. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'm picking up what you're putting down, Carl. (laughs) So he went cruising the East Coast trying to find a boat that resembled his old crashed boat, and he ended up in Salem, Massachusetts. On July 18, 1922, he crossed paths with a 12-year-old boy that happened to be walking in town. This boy was known for hanging around a local restaurant, and the restaurant owner just happened to ask the boy to go run an errand for them. She gave him 15 cents and asked to pick up some milk. Hmm. About an hour later, the neighbor saw the boy and Carl walking down the road together. And later on, when everything happened, the woman was able to positively identify that it was, in fact, Carl that was with him. Oh, uh. Carl said he did not know the bo- did not know his name. But the boy told him that he was 11 years old and just out running an errand. Carl asked him if he would like to earn 50 cent, and the boy said yes. I mean, who doesn't want a good, you know, 50 cents? Mm-hmm. 
The gnarly warning. Mm. So Carl went to the store with the boy and even talked to the clerk because that's how comfortable he was. He just left witnesses. So when they left the store, Carl convinced the boy to go for a trolley ride. They rode for about a mile, and then Carl made the boy get off into a more deserted part of town. Mm. Carl grabbed him by the arm and told him he was going to kill him. Poor boy. I won't go into detail because we know Carl's routine at this point. Mm-hmm. Carl went into a lot of detail saying what he did. I'm not going to. But let's just say he did the same routine that he did before with, with the previous yeah. child. He covered the body, the boy's body with tree branches and he left town. He went back to New York and the, bo- the boy's body was found three days later. His murder went unsolved until Carl's final arrest in 1928. So this was a, he was unsolved for a few years. Yeah, it sounds like it. When the local police recognized Carl's picture in the newspaper and the witnesses were able to positively identify him, they finally figured it out. Mm. But Carl had more important business to tend to. Of course he does. He needed a boat. He was able to find a job where he met fifteen a 15-year-old named George. Carl basically admitted that he his goal was to groom George, mm-hmm. so he would just kind of be around when Carl wanted him around. Yeah. It, but Carl admitted that he was just kind of all about it. Like, he didn't have to persuade him too much. George was, like, happy to be there. Oh. Uh, they did have a sexual relationship, but they weren't, like, mm. together. I think he liked having George on standby, and George apparently didn't mind. But I don't really want to call it consensual, because George was only 15. Yeah. It's weird. But there's a George. So Carl went up to Rhode Island and stole a sailboat. And on his way back to New York, he would dock the boat and find victims and homes to rob. The same song and dance for Carl. He stopped in New York. He picked up George on the boat. He promised George that he could work on the boat, so George agreed to go. And when he went on the boat, Carl did rape George. Mm. So Carl painted the boat and put a name on it and decided he wanted to sell the boat. So he decided he needed to go find a buyer. He docked the boat, and while in town, a man overheard him talking about this boat, so he had interest in it. Mm -hmm. Carl took him out for a few drinks and brought the man back onto the boat. But apparently this man had intentions of robbing Carl, not buying a boat. My dude, do you know who you're fucking with right now? But obviously, Carl's a pro. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, he just shot, killed him, and threw him over the boat. Took care of that real quick. At least this one was in (laughs) self-defense. Keep in mind, George is on the boat. He watched Carl kill a man and throw him overboard. A 15-year-old. I mean, George yeah. kind of, I feel like George should know what he's getting himself into. I don't think he was aware of all, uh, all of this, but he was terrified and he was stuck on the boat. So the next day, when the boat dropped anchor and they stopped... George jumped off the boat and swam to shore, and George was able to go tell the police of the sexual assault. But he did not tell them about the murder. Oh. I guess he was just scared. I don't know. So Carl was arrested. (laughs) Naturally. Again. (laughs) Under the name of John O'Leary. He told the police he was 40 years old and had been born in Nevada. 
None of that was true. No. <laughs> Carl told his lawyer that the boat was worth between $5,000 and $10,000. Carl would give the boat and the papers to the lawyer if the lawyer could get him out of jail. Okay. The lawyer arranged bail, and Carl was able to get out. Obviously, Carl fled. Don't know where Carl is. And when the lawyer tried to register the boat, he learned that the boat was stolen. So the police took the boat, the lawyer took care of his bail, so that was a waste, and Carl was long gone. Mm. Lawyer got scammed big time. Seems like it. Yep. So Carl ended up in New London, Connecticut. And he was trying to find someone to rob. Naturally. Mm-hmm. Which he found a young boy begging for money. Why Why do these young boys just keep falling into this man's I lap? Know, I hate it. So, gnarly warning if you need it. Skip ahead. So, he pulled a knife on the boy, dragged him into the woods, where he did what Carl always did. Mm-hmm. He raped and killed the boy, but this time he strangled him instead of beating him. Oh. I don't know why he changed it, but he did. Later on, Carl said that this was his favorite murder he had ever committed, but never said why. Um, I don't know. Yeah. He tossed the body into the bushes, and he just walked away like nothing happened. Carl said he didn't know the boy's name. But the boy had told him he was a Jew from Brooklyn, and he had an uncle that was a cop at the time. I guess that was his way of, like, giving information to find him, or mm. identify him. They were able to identify him. But his body was found two days later. During his confession, he wrote, quote, If there is anything more you want to know about this case, that I can tell you I will. But I have killed a number of people in different places, and some of the facts have slipped my memory. Carl. Like... I've got no words for you, Carl. Yeah. In 1923, he was arrested for the same old stuff, burglaries. He's always arrested for the burglaries. But he's never arrested for, like, the other stuff. No, they never found out. It's wild to me. Mm -hmm. He was sent to the Clinton State Prison in Dannemora, New York. Same old routine. He wanted to escape, so he came up with a firebomb that he wanted to use on a workshop. But the prison guards found it and destroyed it. Later on, Carl tried to kill one of those guards. He hit the man in the back of the head with a 10-pound club while he slept in a chair. It didn't kill him, but oh, okay. still. That's a pretty hefty club. Mm-hmm. Carl tried to escape by climbing over one of the walls, and he fell 30 feet onto a concrete slab, mm. breaking both legs and ankles and injuring his spine. He was found and thrown into a cell without any medical attention. Nothing. No brace. No splints. No splint. Nothing. No doctor. No nothing. Ugh. According to Carl, he was in 14 months of constant agony before finally receiving medical attention for a rupture. And for some reason, one of his testicles had to be removed. Oh. But that was the only medical attention he got. Wow. And he was in constant pain. But despite mm. being the one ball wonder, they found mm -hmm. him shortly after raping an inmate. Must not have been in too much pain, I guess. I guess. And he was thrown into solitaire. He was released July 1928. He ended up serving five years. Half of that was in solitaire. He was permanently crippled due to the lack of medical attention. Of course, Carl was pissed. 
he was mad at the world and blamed everyone else for what had happened. And he just hated everyone, and he wanted to kill as many people as possible hmm. to get his revenge. He said he thought about blowing up a train. He also wanted to put arsenic in the water supply so he could kill the whole town of Danamora, which is where the prison, the jail was. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, he just didn't do it. It's a lot of arsenic that you have to obtain, mm -hmm. so. However, within two weeks of his release, he had committed over a dozen burglaries and killed one man during a robbery in Baltimore. He moves fast. He does move fast. Jesus. He was arrested and taken to Washington, D.C., and for the first time in years, he was uh, he was arrested under his actual name. While he was getting processed, he met the guard named Henry Lesser. He was a young man at only 26 years old, and he was new to the job. He had only been there for about a year. Mm. Henry asked Carl what his crime was, and Carl said, What I do is reform people. Carl, shut up. Mm-hmm. Carl tried to escape, but the other inmates told the guards. So Carl was hoisted up in the air so his toes barely touched the ground and his arms were over his head, and he was left there for a day and a half. He screamed that he hated his parents for giving him life. He told the guards that he would kill anyone if he got the chance. And at some point, he did admit to killing two young boys, and he liked it. Ew. The media got wind of this man confessing to all these murders, on October 28, 1928, the Washington Post reported that he had confessed to murdering two young boys. Carl said, quote, If that ain't enough, I'll give you plenty more. I've been all over the world, and I've seen everything but hell. But I guess I'll see that soon. Mm. He really had been everywhere. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. Henry Lesser, the guard, took pity on Carl because everyone kind of hated him for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he gave Carl a dollar so Carl could go buy cigarettes and food. Carl was used to guards beating the shit out of him, so this was like a new thing for him he wasn't used to. Mm -hmm. And it meant a lot to Carl. Oh. That dollar. And the two became friends, I guess, or like Carl's version of friends. If Carl can even, yeah. you know, do friendship. Yeah. So Carl said that he wanted to write his life story and the confession for Henry, so Henry gave him the writing supplies to do so. One thing that Carl wrote was, quote, All of my associates, all of my surroundings, the atmosphere, the deceit, treachery, brutality, degeneracy, hypocrisy, and everything that is bad and nothing that is good. Why am I what I am? I'll tell you why. I did not make myself what I am. Others had the making of me. So basically he just said everything that led him to be. He wasn't that way people made him that way yeah he's not here because of his own personal choices he's mm -hmm. here because people pushed him to do things he didn't want to do yeah yeah he blamed his actions on the years of torture and abuse in jail he also wrote that he believed that the justice system created more criminals and more issues as opposed to fixing the problems my dude you were gonna do these things mm -hmm. regardless of if you were tortured in jail or not mm-hmm I feel like he is, like, the quintessential debate of, like, nurture versus nature. You think so? I think so. Because to me, it's like he was born mean. Like, just born evil. Like, I feel like that's how he is. But then it's like he's like, no, it's because I was just... 
beat the shit out of I all guess, the time. I guess you, you said earlier that uh, his brothers used to beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, it could be a good example of nurture versus nature. Because I don't think anybody is just, like, born bad. No, I feel like they're, it's not often. Like, there's some that I've read, and I'm like, nothing happened. You're just a really shitty human being. Like Carla Homolka. Yeah. She, there was nothing wrong with her. She just, she's just kind of, she's kind of off. Yeah. And then they just, one seed gets planted, and then it just flourishes. Flourishes into a shit show. Uh, so he wrote the names, locations, the time frames, and the ages of victims. If he knew any of the information, he gave it to him. And the victims were confirmed with the local police departments. He also wrote his entire arrest arrest record and all the aliases that he used. Oh, wow. There was a lot. He kind of basically realized the jig is up. We're at the end of the road. Nothing to lose. So he went to trial for the home burglary, and he acted as as his own lawyer. During the trial, he went up to the witness on the stand, stood inches from his face. Oh, my God. And said, do you know me? Take a good look at me. And he dragged his finger across his neck and said, this will happen to you. Right in the middle of the courtroom. Yeah, I think he just knew, like, he could act crazy and it didn't matter. Yeah. So Carl took the stand and not only admitted to the burglary, but even said he waited in the house for hours hoping that the homeowners would come home so he could kill them. Oh my gosh. He was found guilty. Naturally. Naturally. And given 25 years for the burglary. When the judge read the verdict, Carl looked at him with a smile and said, Visit me. Oh my god. Carl arrived at the prison and told the warden, quote, I'll kill the first man that bothers me. And this is coming like, they know this man can escape from jails and prisons and stuff. Why do they? Yeah. They need to start putting him in something a little bit more high security. You would think. <laughs> so he was considered to be too psychotic to be in general population. So he was sent to work laundry details so he would have little interaction with inter- with inmates. And he was supervised by a man named Robert Warnke. Warnke, I think is how you say it. This supervisor wrote up Carl many times causing him to be sent to solitaire a lot. Where he belongs. Where he belongs. Carl told the other inmates to stay away from Robert because he was going to die soon. Oh. June 20th, 1929. Carl was working on the laundry, and he saw a four-foot-long iron bar leaning against the wall. Without a word, he got the bar and approached Robert. Just as Robert was sitting there doing paperwork... Without a word, he brought the bar down on his head, and his skull broke instantly. Mm. He then started going after the other inmates that were in the room, just swinging the bar, trying to kill whoever he could get his hands on. Just going ham. He's like, well, I already killed one today, so... Might as well keep going. Might as well. The guards came and stopped him, and he said... He dropped the bar, and he said, I just killed Warnke. Guess it's my lucky day. He was taken to a cell, and he just sat on his bed like nothing happened. This man. This man is, like, it's like you can't even believe it, but it happened. So he waited for trial for the murder, and he continued to write his little buddy, Henry Lesser, all of his letters and mm-hmm. notes about everything. So Henry's still getting all these notes from him. 
he finally went to trial for the murder of Robert Warnke. I feel like I'm saying that wrong. I'm sorry, Robert. On April 14, 1930, <laughs> and he denied a lawyer again. He said, I plead not guilty. Now go ahead and prove me guilty. You understand? They did, in fact, prove him guilty. <laughs> I can only imagine. And the jury deliberated for only 45 minutes, and he was found guilty of murder with no recommendation of mercy. The judge read the verdict, saying, The 5th day of November, 1930, when, when between the hours of 6 and 9 o'clock in the morning, you shall be taken to the most suitable place within the confines of the penitentiary and hanged by the neck until dead. Mm. Carl said in response, I want to thank you, Judge. Just let me get my fingers around your neck for 60 seconds and you'll never sit on another bench as a judge. Oh my god. This man had no fucks to give. He is ballsy. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, Carl had to be dragged out of the courtroom. I believe that. At some point, a group of psychologists wanted to interview Carl because he was so fascinating to them. Mm -hmm. Carl told them, quote, I want to be hanged and I don't want any inter interference with your filthy kind. I just know more about the world and the essential evil nature of man, and don't play the hypocrite. I am proud of having killed off a few, and regret that I didn't kill more. I am saying that I am responsible and I am guilty, and the sooner they hang me, the better it will be and the gladder I will be. So don't try to interfere with it. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> he just welcomes death. He's like, I'm ready for this. Like, what do I got to lose? Uh, there were some groups that did not agree with the death penalty, just in general, mm -hmm. and they were trying to get rid of it and instead go more of, like, the reform route. We've already tried reform with this man. I it know. did not work. And Carl did not approve of this, and he wrote the group saying, I look forward to a seat in the electric chair or a dance at the end of the rope, just like some folks do to their wedding night. The only thanks you and your kind will ever get from me for your efforts on my behalf is that I wish you all had one neck that I had my hands on. I have no desire whatsoever to reform myself. My only desire is to reform those who try to reform me. And I believe the only way to reform people is to kill them. Mm. Y'all, he is telling y'all. Kill me before kill I me. kill you. <laughs> he will in fact kill you. To ensure that his verdict didn't change, he and he would not receive a new trial, he even wrote President Herbert Hoover. He said he was perfectly satisfied with his trial and the verdict, and if he were to receive a pardon, he would refuse it. He wanted no parts of it. He doesn't deserve a pardon anyways. So, mm -hmm. on September 5th, 1930, at 5.55 a.m., he was walked from his cell to the gallows. He cursed his mother for bringing him into the world and the whole human race. The executioner attempted to put the hood over his head, and Carl spit in his face and said, Hurry up, you bastard. I could have killed ten men while you were fooling around. Oh my gosh. <laughs> at 6.03 a.m., the trap door was released, and at 6.18, he was pronounced dead at only 39 years old. Mm. 39. And he did all this. That's crazy. I thought he'd be older than that. Mm -mm. There was an autopsy on his body, but the body was never claimed, so he was carted by a wheelbarrow <laughs> that to, sounds the, right. to the prison cemetery, and his grave marker just reads his prison number, which was 31614. He was never officially charged with any of the murders or crimes, but he had a lot of warrants all over the country mm -hmm. for him. 
And Henry Lesser, uh, he preserved all of Carl's letters and writings, and he tried to get them published for decades. He finally crossed paths with writers Thomas E. Gaddis and Joe Long, who wrote the book Killer, a journal, a journal of a Murder, and they used Henry's collection and Henry as a consultant to write the book. And Henry ended up donating all those writings in 1980 to the San Diego State University. Imagine just being friends with a psychopath. Like, just casually writing letters back and forth. Like, so, buddy, you murder anybody this week? You sodomize anybody this week? You want to tell me about that? (sighs) I'm sure it wasn't, like, a real friend. It was Carl's version of a friend. (laughs) Whatever that is. Just somebody he can confide in. Somebody that he could use at his own leisure to get his story told. Yeah. But that was Carl. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, Travis. (laughs) So if you guys have any requests, you can always send it to us on most likely Instagram, but anywhere. Follow us all in places. Yeah. Just don't come looking us come looking for us on our personal Facebook accounts cuz that's weird. You won't find much. <laughs> yeah, you won't find much. Maybe a couple memes about Mothman in West Virginia. Mine's dogs. That's about it. That's about it. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks. Bye. Bye.